let's welcome Pastor Tom today. Well, good morning, City Hope Church. It is so good to be with you this morning, and it is really an absolute honor for me to be here um, because this is a church that I have literally prayed for. My, my family and I, our church has prayed for since before you were even a church, um, back when you were just a burning passion that God put on the hearts of Pastor Ben and Annalise. And so to come here and experience um, what I've seen today is just incredible. Just to watch what God has done in a relatively short amount of time gets me excited for what's going to happen in this region. And that's exciting today. Truth be told, I cannot help but to love your church um, because I love your pastor and, and his family so much. Um, we have been doing ministry together. We did for a long time, and I can't tell you who was more excited, um, me and my wife Deborah or, or my kids, to get back and see Murrayville and, and get part of that again, and they were excited. And um, Now, you may or may not know this, but some pastors have an, a, a tendency to exaggerate a little. Maybe when they preach, not your pastor, not me, but some preachers. And, and, and I just want you to hear this, that this is no, absolutely no exaggeration. City Hope, you are blessed, and many of you know this, to, to have Pastor Ben and Annalise as your pastors. Will you honor them with me right now? This is no exaggeration. They are some of the hardest working, most faithful um, most God-fearing and generous people I've ever met in my life, and uh, I just love them so much. And um, honestly, part of our hearts went to Texas um, when you guys went and launched this church, and so I was so glad to see him. Um, when we came back here, I just immediately hugged him, and I, I just loved him. And, um, and so we're, we're glad to be here, and we're excited this morning. And I want to say happy Father's Day to all of you dads. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, show the dads a little love. See, it's important that we show them a little love because, you know, let's just address the discrepancy that, that happens between Mother's Day and Father's Day. Okay, can we just be honest for a minute? There's a bit of a discrepancy. Like with Mother's Day, you know, we, we pull out all the stops. We've got breakfast in bed, and we got flowers and cards and all of that stuff, and it's good. We want to honor moms, but, but what happens is like a lot of times on Father's Day, it doesn't always match up. Right? And I'm like on Mother's Day, all preachers, they, they have a message that sounds like this Moms, we love you. You're amazing. You're like human unicorns. You're just special and unique. And we need to, to honor you and praise you this morning. And so, in just a moment, we're going to have you stand as our ushers are going to come by and, and shower you with roses and our adoration. And we're going to bask in your loveliness because you smell like jasmine and lavender. And so, we love you so much. And so, here is our praise. That's what it's like on Mother's Day. But then on Father's Day, a lot of preachers, they have this message. This is what it's like Hey, Dad, why don't you get your act together? When are you going to start being a man and, and get your head out of your iPhone and your business and be a dad for a change? Like, that's what it's like, right? I mean, like, there's a bit of a discrepancy that happens there, you know? And, and, and that is not how it's going to be today. I just want to tell you, dads, it's not going to be like that. I, I'm blessed to be a dad. I, I have absolutely been blessed to be my lovely wife, Deborah. She's right here on the front row. And, and one of my kids, Tom, is here. She blessed me with, with three kids, Tom, Joey, and Elizabeth. And Tom is our oldest. He's, he's a 13-year-old guy now. And, and our youngest is just seven years old. Joey's right there in the middle at 
And I'm blessed to be a dad. And, and I think one of the reasons why that dads have such a, a difficult time on Father's Day is because it really is challenging to be a dad. It's, an, it's such an important job. Like, like we know that moms, without moms, this whole thing falls apart. Like, like nothing's going to happen, okay? So we, we understand that it's important to honor moms. But I, I shudder to think of, of a place with, without dads. A life without dads would be a horrible thing. And the truth is that a lot of times it can be difficult to shop for dads too. You know, it can be tough to get them what they want and what they need. And, and that's why we end up with putters and, and mugs and ties and mugs that say number one dad. And, and, and if you got that for your dad, that's exactly what he wanted. And, he, and we're so glad <laughs> that you did that. But it, it can be difficult to have um, to get the things for the dad, you know, it's not, a, not every day you could buy him a green egg, you know, it's, it's kind of be challenging. And so Deborah asked me, what do I want for Father's Day? And I drew a blank. I, I said, I, man, I, I really don't know. I, what I really want, and this is honest, and I got what I wanted. I said, I, j- I just want to be with you guys as a family. We just want to be together and, and we love adventures, as Pastor Ben said. And so I'm excited to, we're going to explore a little bit of the great t- state of Texas. And, and so I was excited about that. And, and I loved it if there was an opportunity to have just just like a body of water around because my kids, I don't know about your kids, but, but my kids love to swim. It is like their favorite thing. In fact, as we were pulling up to the hotel, that was their first thing. That was their major concern. They were like checking out the window. They're like, I think there's a guardrail. If there's a guardrail, there's probably a pool. They probably got a pool. It's, it's okay place if they got a pool. I mean, like, they were really, like, that's all they want to. Like, they just want to swim all the time. And in fact, you know, Pastor Ben and, and Jason, and, and we, we went with our families, we went to Boomtown Bay uh, the other day, and we had a, a blast out there, and we were swimming. And while I was swimming and watching, and we, we, we were playing with all the kids and everything, I was watching. And I noticed that as the dads were there, there was really only two ways that the dad would enter into the water. There's, I think, scientific research that would back me up here. But, but there's really only two ways that I noticed. And the first way was what I call the ease on in. And you know what this is like, right? This is where this technique starts with like just a toe or like a foot just to see how cold the water is. And you know, like you're, they're, they're holding on to the guardrail for dear life. And, and it's usually accompanied by some weird faces and sounds. It's like, oh, that's cold. You know, and, and then, and all of it is designed to just prolong the inevitable, which is getting cold water into uncomfortable places. And that's what it's all about. And that's one way that you could enter into the water, but I think there's a vastly superior way. It's the way that I choose to enter the water. It's a little something we call the cannonball. Now, now if you know what the cannonball is, the cannonball is a patriarchal tradition that has existed for centuries. And if you're familiar with it, you know the technique. This is where dads get a running start, and they lift their legs to their chest, right? And they enter into the water in a seated position, causing a splash, a primary splash to happen. And the goal of this splash is really just to get everybody you're related to that's sitting on the side of the pool soaked, and to cause a tidal wave for the little kids in the shallow end. That's the whole point of the cannonball. And the truth is, the, the reason why the cannonball is so loved by the male species, particularly dads, is because it's the one thing where the dad bod is actually a benefit for. Like, like you know, like, in truth, the less athletic you are, the better for your cannonball. The, the more your abs look less like a six-pack and more like a keg, the better your cannonball is going to be. You know what I mean? And so, so dads love to get this cannonball. And as I, so I was watching there, I was just sitting there and watching these dads get into the water and doing these cannonballs and the ease on it. I, I thought, you know, there's not a better illustration for the life of a dad than the cannonball. 
And I want to break this down to you because maybe not like me, you haven't ever studied the physics behind the cannonball. But, but if you look at it, there's actually some depth there. Because I was watching these cannonball and I, I noticed that there's a primary splash that happens first. You know, as the dad enters into water, there's this big splash that happens first. And, and then if you look at the physics behind it, as soon as he went inside the water, there's a pocket of air that's, that's formed and the water shoots up and it causes a secondary splash. Now, the primary splash is often big, but the secondary splash sometimes is even more impressive. It's even greater than that. And what happens is it's, it's felt, the reverberations are felt throughout the secondary splash. And I thought, the life, your life, and the life of dads in particular is just like that. Like you have the initial impact, the initial splash, and, and yet there's something greater. There's a secondary splash that happens, and, and it's in the generations to come that follow you. And that's the secondary splash that can be felt long after you're gone. And if you read in Scripture, the more that you look through Scripture, the more you'll see that there are people just like that, that made a primary splash, that made a big impact on the people around them in the stories and the lives that they lived. But there's a secondary splash as well. And we're the ones that are experiencing those stories even to this day that propel us forward, that catapult us forward and move us forward in the God-given calling that God has on our life. And today I want to talk to you about a man who had a lasting effect like that, who impacted those around him in his day, but also had a ripple effect long after he was gone, and his name is Joshua. Now, now this is especially important. This is a message especially important to dads, but this is not just to dads. You heard Pastor Ben say this. This is a message to everyone today. And I want you, if you're a dad, I want you to listen with dad ears, but, it, but this is for everybody today because this is important principles for everyone. Now, I don't know what your dad was like growing up. My, my dad was in construction. And so he, he owned a roofing company uh, all of his life, flat tar, hot tar roofing. And, and I grew up all around that. And one of the things that I, I used to love to do was that when my dad came home, he'd have these great big boots and, and they would have asphalt on them, made them real big. And, and I would, when he came home, I would take those boots, I, I would get inside those boots and I would walk around in them. I, I probably looked ridiculous. They were like go-go boots on, on a little guy. But, but to me, it was like a superhero. And I was big and I would walk around these boots. Now, at some point, I stopped wearing my dad's boots because because otherwise that'd be kind of creepy, right? You know, a 40-year-old man trying to wear my dad's boots would be a little weird, but, and plus my feet are bigger than his. Sorry, happy Father's Day, Dad. But, but when, when I was a kid and I would put those boots on, I, I would wear them and I would walk them around, and, and walk around in them, but what I didn't know was that there was pressure that he was carrying in those boots. Like as a kid, I had no idea of, of the pressure that he carried, pressure to, to make sure that the mortgage was paid, pressure to make sure that the ends were met, that, that we had enough money and in the case of an emergency and we had enough money to do the things that we wanted to do. I had no idea about the pressures that were there, pressures of being present at the games and at the practices and at the concerts and, and all of that stuff, all the while deadlines and obligations were going on in the background. I didn't know about that. I didn't have any idea of, of what it meant to have the pressure of being a protector, to make sure that everyone was healthy and safe. And I didn't know anything about co-pays and insurance. I didn't have any idea about that. As a kid, I didn't have any idea about being a spiritual leader, making sure that faith was real in our house, and all the while knowing that there are little eyes and little ears that are watching all the time. I had no idea of that pressure. I had no idea of the pressure that anything you say can and will be used against you at some point. You dads know this. I had no idea of that pressure. I had no idea of the pressure of discipline. And I can tell you this, I didn't believe it when he said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. 
I said, hey, give me the belt. We'll try the theory right now. Give it a shot. I had no idea of the pressures that he was under. I could wear the shoes, but I didn't know the pressure. And then one day, like in a moment, I experienced the pressure. A little over 13 years ago, I became a dad with my first son, Tom. And, uh, and, and in that moment, I started to see instantly the pressure that he was under. I read a, a book by a man named um, John Eldridge not that long ago, and, and it's called uh, Wild at Heart. It's a great book. And inside this book... He says that every boy is asking this one question. Every boy, no matter who, they're asking this question, do I have what it takes? And every little girl is also asking a question, and it's the same kind of fundamental question, but it's a little different for little girls. They're asking the question, am I lovely? They're all asking this question, and he said that it's the job of the father, the responsibility, the role of the father to answer those two questions in a thousand different ways. And it's because of that that they have to answer, yes, you have what it takes. Yes, you are lovely, over and again in their lives. Because of that, that and, and so many other experiences that they have to deal with, that there's a pressure that comes with being a dad. And it's a pressure that I felt instantly once our, our oldest son was born. It began to come on me. I'll never forget the day they let um, me take my son home. So after we uh, were in the hospital for just a few days, like they used to not always do this, but this is what they do now. They make sure that you know how to connect the little car seat together. And, uh, and so they, they brought us down and they tried to put the, and I made sure that I knew how to put it together. And then when I was done, um, she said, well, congratulations, bye. And I thought, where, where are you going? you're just going to let me take this kid? Like, do you have any idea? I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, what, like, where's the manual for this thing? Like, up until the point, that point, it was not real. Like, up until that point, like, we had made the nursery, my wife got bigger and more moody, but, but, but love you, but, like, all of this stuff was happening, but it wasn't, like, real. Like, then, then they were letting me take him home with me, and they said, good luck, and I was like, wait, like, at that point, before that, I could, there were doctors and nurses and there were Indian chiefs, and I could ask anybody. I could say, hey, why is he pooping black? Is that good? You know, is it bad? And they had answers for me, and now they're saying you're off on your own good luck and and at that moment it was the pressure came on me I must have clicked that little car seat in 12 times to make sure he was in together and I put him in the seat and I I checked the rear view probably 14 times like like going on the way to the hospital on the way for him to be born I probably went 10 or 15 miles over the limit because they'll they'll let you do that when when you're going to the hospital and so like I was going a little bit fast probably 20-25 minutes no 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 faster than 30 miles an hour over the limit. And um, so I was, I was flying when it went on the way to the hospital, but on the way home, that's when I was going like about 10 miles under. And it was like I looked around and every car around me was a potential threat because I had one job. I had to get this little package. I had to get this little guy home from the hospital to home. And that was my job. I was the protector. And there was a pressure that came with it. And the truth is, is being a parent is amazing. It's life-giving, it's rewarding, it's a privilege, and it's a gift, but there's also pressure. And it's like that with any calling you experience in your life, any leadership calling that you have in your life, anywhere that God has called you to lead and influence other people. Maybe today you, you stepped up and, and you're leading a small group or you're a business owner and there's, there's influence or, or, or in, your, in your class and you're a student and you're actually showing others what it's like to actually be a follower of Jesus and really maintain the integrity of, of what it means to be a believer. There's pressure that comes with that. Every time that you go through that kind of pressure and it can come on in a moment, 
there's a challenge that deals with it. Some of you may be in a time of transition. Maybe you've gone through transition and, and in a moment you've experienced that pressure. Maybe it's a, a new job or a new relationship or, or a new responsibility. And, and maybe it's a, a promotion that you've experienced. So there's a new department or a new team or a, or a new person on that team. But whatever it is that you're called to, when you're called to the new, and God will absolutely call you to the new, when you're called to the new, there's pressure that comes with it. And Joshua knew a little something about that pressure and about the pressure of leadership. And so we're going to look at his life today and through his story. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's in the book called Joshua. You know, the story's pretty good. You've had an interesting life when they named the book after you. So, so in the book of Joshua chapter 1, now we're, we're going to go there. But before we do, I want, to, I want to give you a little context as to what we're talking about. And so in order to do that, we have to back up a little bit. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Moses, you'll know that in those days, the Israelites had been in slavery to the Egyptians for 450 years. And they cried out to God, and they asked for God to deliver them, and God did. He uses Moses, and, and, and through Moses, he delivers the people out of bondage and slavery. But because of their, their uh, really, their disobedience and their unfaithfulness, they were forced to wander in the desert for 40 years. And so they wander in this desert for all this time. And right before they're about to enter into the promised land, an area that, they, that God swore to them that he would give them, and, but they really didn't know what was, what was really going to happen on the other side. Right as they were about to enter in, Moses, their leader, dies. And he, he dies, and the guy who was like his number one man, the, the, the next guy in, in charge, Joshua, is immediately forced into leadership. And at this time, the, the Israelites are, are roughly 2 million people. They're just shy of 2 million people. When, when they entered into Egypt 450 years ago, there was about 45 of them. And at this point, they're slightly under the size of Houston. I mean, like, like there, there's a ton of people. And Joshua is immediately in control. He's the guy that's going to make all of the, the decisions. And so he's experiencing the pressure that comes with it. Look what it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. It says that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. So God speaks to Joshua and he says, Josh, listen, just like I was with Moses, now I'm with you. And he starts talking to him. And, and this, is, this is huge because now, just like the way God was talking to Moses, he's talking to Joshua. And Joshua is under this pressure because he's just lost Moses. God says, Moses is dead. This is the man that he has followed all of his life. And, and it can be challenging when you lose someone that you respect or you lose someone that you love. Many of you today, maybe you've lost your father, and so today is a difficult day. Maybe your father or your grandfather or a mentor in your life is gone, and Joshua is experiencing that same kind of pressure from the loss of a man that he's followed for so long. But God is calling him at the same time to lead, and God gives him this incredible promise. He, says, tell, he tells him, get ready. Get ready because I'm about to do something new. I want you to get ready because we're going to go for it. We're going some places. He doesn't tell Joshua, why don't you just go back to Egypt? Or why don't you sit down? Or why don't you just take a little rest or a little break? Why don't you retreat? Or, or, or why don't you build a monument to Moses? No, he looks at Joshua and he says, I want you to put your boots on. I want you to get ready because we're about to do something. Lace up your boots and get ready because we're going to take back the territory. We're going to take the territory that the enemy tried to steal from you. Let me ask you a question today. What, what territory has the enemy tried to take from you that God wants you to take back? What is the area that God wants to restore in your life? Maybe it's peace. 
Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a dream or a calling on your life. What is the area that God is saying, I want you to get ready because we're going to take that territory back? And even though you've experienced loss in this area, I want you to put your boots on and I want you to get ready. That's what he says to Joshua. He says, put your boots on, Joshua. You've experienced great loss. You've experienced tragedy. And now you're experiencing great pressure. But we're about to go and we're going to take the territory. Look what he says, verse 3. He says, I'll give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God tells Joshua, get ready. I want you to put your foot down because every place you put your foot, I'm going to give you. Everywhere you step is going to be yours. I'm going to give you the title, but you've got to negotiate the deal. I'm going to tell you that that you're going to have it, Joshua. He says, I'm going to set up the meeting, but you've got to negotiate the deal. You've got to have the tough conversation. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to give you the victory, but you've got to fight the battles. This is what God is saying. He says that I need you to know this, Joshua. This is the same thing that he's telling you to today. He says that even though you're going to have to go through all this, I'm going with you. I fight for you and I go before you. And if I'm for you, who would dare be against you? That's what he tells Joshua. That's what he's telling you today. And even though you have great pressure and even though you have difficulty, I'm calling you to something greater and I've got a greater promise. And the promise that I have for you is greater than the promised land, the land. It's greater than that. It's greater than anything you've actually ever experienced because what I have for you, God says, is my presence. Listen, that's the same promise that he gives to you today, that he will be with you with his presence. Now look at what he says, verse 6. This is so good. He says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's good news. You you see, God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why don't you say that with me? Say, be strong and courageous. He says, be strong and courageous over and over and over and over again. Now, when God starts retweeting himself over and again, it's because it's something you need to hear. And the reason why he keeps saying this over and over to Joshua is because Joshua needed to hear that. It's because Joshua didn't feel strong and courageous. He felt weak and he felt afraid. He felt discouraged and he felt completely unqualified to do the thing that God told him to do. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, that's called parenting in a nutshell. Right? You're, you're lost, you're afraid, you're scared to death, you don't know what to do. That's parenting. Sometimes you can feel great pain. I'll never forget the time when I was, uh, I, I was with my, my kids. Now, how many of you parents out there uh, enjoy Legos? Your kids like Legos? How many of you guys like Legos? Yeah, my kids love Legos. I have two boys, and if Legos were currency, they'd be Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. I mean, the guys just have a bunch of Legos, and they, and they always want me to put them together with them. They'll come to me, and they'll bring like this exact scale model of the Taj Mahal with 68 billion pieces, and they say, Dad, let's put this together. Just you and me. 
Let's put it together. Now, I've come to figure out exactly what that means. Over the years, I've figured out that's code. It's code for, Dad, you put this together while I go play with my other toys. And you slip slowly into madness trying to figure out where the brick is for step 47 while I go have fun. And I'll be back. And that's what they really mean by that. But the actual joy of the Legos is not in building the Legos. It's not in spending hours and hours putting this thing together. It's after I'm done. When they come back and they get this thing and they turn into like miniature Godzillas. And they just like, they're playing with it. And this thing that I've spent hours of my life is now shattering before my eyes. And you're watching the little bricks fall. And it's at that moment that the little bricks become what I call multicolored landmines. You know what I'm talking about, parents? If you've ever stepped on one of these bad boys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'll never forget the night that I, I went into my son's room. And it was dark. And I was barefoot because it's nighttime. And I went to go check on him, my son, my boy. And I walked in there. I wanted to be quiet because he was asleep. I wanted to check on him. And and as I walked in there and crept in there, that's when my foot planted squarely on one of those little red devils. I mean, if you've ever stepped on the Lego, you know that the sharp corners are perfectly executed to shoot fire and pain from your foot directly into your brain. And that's what happened to me. As soon as I stepped on it, it shot right into my brain and I was on fire. And it hurt so bad, but I didn't want to make any noise. So I did this like silent rage jump. I was like, Which was great because then the other foot lands squarely on the Lego again. And shooting fire and pain into my brain again. And and I'm about 87% sure I didn't say a cuss word. But it's embarrassing as a pastor to tell you that. But I I can't be uh, completely sure I didn't think of a couple. But I was was crying and whimpering in pain. Like like if you've ever stepped on it, you know that there's like a scale. Like like G.I. Joes are here and like Barbie shoes are here. But top of the death meter is the Lego. And so as I crushed and crumpled down in pain, that's when my little boy stuck his head out over his bed. And he said, hey, Dad, what's going on? And he said, hey, I'm trying to sleep. And it was at that moment that it took everything inside of me not to just wrap my little boy up in my arms and sell him on Craigslist. Because pain can make you, it can cause you to question everything. That's what, that's what Joshua was experiencing. He, he was experiencing the pain And he was questioning everything. Right now, he's over 2 million people. And the pressure that he had, he wasn't feeling strong and courageous. He he wasn't feeling like he was the strongest or courageous man that could do all this. And Joshua needed to hear those words. And Joshua was asking the same question that every boy asks himself. And it's the same question that every man does uh, that asks himself as well. And it's the question, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to lead these people? And the reason why we ask these questions, as men especially, is number one in your notes, is God always calls us to things greater than us. He absolutely does. If you follow God for any amount of time, you'll find that he always calls us to stuff greater than us. The truth is, God doesn't call able people. You see, that's where the challenge comes from. That's where it's difficult, because if I were to ask any man today, hey, could you come up here and do one push-up? Just one push-up, could you do it? There'd be a bunch of hands that were raised. But if I said, hey, could you come up here and do 100 push-ups? There'd be far fewer hands. Because not every one of us are able. Like, like, I mean, like I could do like 96 or 97. We'd have to be here a while. You might want to pack a lunch too. But, but, but the truth is, is it's hard because we're not able. The truth is that God doesn't call people who are able. Moses wasn't able. 
Abraham wasn't able. David wasn't able. Gideon wasn't able. Read your Bibles. Esther wasn't able. Mary wasn't able. None of the disciples were able to do what God called them to do. And the truth is, is if you've been called to be a parent, you've been called to something that you're not able to do. It's true, because independent or apart from God, you don't have the wisdom, you don't have the strength, you don't have the perseverance. None of us do. None of us are able to do it on our own. We need God. And that's why we experience the pressure in life. Because whatever you're called to do, he hasn't called you because you're able. He's called you because he's able. Number two in your notes, write this down. The presence of God is greater than the pressures of life. Be strong and courageous wasn't a pep talk. For Joshua. God wasn't saying, be strong and courageous because you're so smart. Be strong and courageous because you're so good looking. Be strong and courageous because you can figure this thing out. Be strong and courageous because you can really bench press a lot. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, because you're a warrior and I know you could get this thing and you could do it. God wasn't saying that. No. He says, be strong and courageous because I am with you. Because it's my presence and my presence is always greater than the pressures you face. The greatest gift that God ever gave us, the greatest gift and the greatest thing that, that, that he's ever given us is, is himself. He's given us his presence. Scripture says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. You know what the reward is for seeking him? It's him. You get more of him because it's in his presence that you find that's where I get more courage. That's where I get more strength. That's where all my help comes from. And the most amazing thing about this whole thing is that the same promise that he gave Joshua, he gives you today. That, that you could experience that same thing, that, that, that presence from the heavenly father. And that can be difficult for some of us to, to receive today because all we have is the example of our earthly father. And that's not always the best example. And some of you today, you may be experiencing loss, uh, the loss of your father. And so when you hear scripture like that one or, or the one in Psalms that says that God is the God, the father to the fatherless, when you hear that, it really resonates with you. Maybe your father's still alive, but, but you've been essentially fatherless because of, uh, of a relationship breakdown or, or divorce or, or alcoholism or something worse they're that father in your life is non-existent. Even though he's alive, he's not there. And sometimes that can be even harder for us to deal with than having a living, uh, having our father go on to be with the Lord, is having a father that is not there. And God wants you to know this today, that everything you lost in a father, he can be in more. Everything that, that you didn't have, all the promises that you should have had with, with having a father, God can be the father to the fatherless. And he says, listen, I'm a father. I'm a better father than you can ever experience because my love is unending. I'm infinitely approachable. That no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, you can always come back to me. And he invites you into his presence and he says, I'm here. I don't have mood swings. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I don't stand off. I move forward. I move to you in love, unconditional love. My presence is always greater than the pressure you're facing. That's what God is saying to you. And you weren't meant to carry the pressures of this life alone. Being a dad or being a leader, being a business owner, or, or, or being someone that has influence, you were never meant to carry these things by yourself. If you're called to be a father, you were called to be a son first. Or a daughter. If you were called to be a mother, you're called to be a, a daughter first. That's what God wants you to know. I love it when my kids come to me, when they, when they come to me with an issue. 
especially now as I have a, a young teenager. And, and when they come up to me and they say, Dad, I, I need some help. I, I need to work through something. That's when you drop anything you're doing, right? You're like, yeah, of course. What, what do you need? What, what, what's going on? Because, you know, I love those moments because what they're saying in that moment is, Dad, I, I need help. I'm trying to work through something, and I don't know how to work through it, and I love those moments. Listen, your heavenly Father loves it when you come to him in those ways. When you say, God, I have pressure, and I need to work through this. I need your help, because, and that's really what prayer is. It's just coming to God and saying, listen, I have some pressures in my life, and I'm working through some stuff, and I need your help in this, God. And it's in that moment that when we're helping our kids, where we're helping them sort it out, that we're able to tell them, look, you're carrying some stuff you don't need to carry. You don't need to worry about that. I've had conversations with my kids before, and I'm saying, listen, why are you worrying about that? I'll deal with that. That's the same thing that God wants to tell you. Sometimes you're carrying pressures, and you're carrying burdens in this life, and God says, you're not meant to be carrying that. I didn't design you to carry that. Why don't you let me be protector? Why don't you let me be provider? Why don't you be, let me be the one who will always be present? And that's really the greatest calling we have as parents. The greatest calling we have as parents and as leaders is to take the hand of our children and place it in the hand of our God. Because he's always going to be the primary father. I'm always going to be the secondary father. He's always the number one father. I'm always the number two. The greatest thing that God has ever done is to say that you can come to me and I'll help you work through these problems because you were never meant, you were never designed to handle this on your own. The truth is in this life, we're going to have problems. Jesus said that. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have pressures. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I've done it. You didn't. And you need to be around me. That's why number three, last thing is this. Your pressure will drive you somewhere. The pressures of this life will drive you somewhere, and, and a lot of times they'll take you to some pretty unhealthy places in, in your effort to try and escape them. Or they could drive you right into the presence of God. You get to make that decision. And it's in his presence that you find strength and, and courage and the presence and, and more peace than you ever thought possible. God says to Joshua, get ready. Put your boots on. We're about to cross the Jordan River. And that's exactly what Joshua did. He put his boots on, and he laced them up real tight, and he led the nation of Israel right onto the banks of the Jordan River. Now, this story, if you, if you go on to read it, it's a fascinating story. In chapter 3, it says that the river was at harvest stage. In other words, it was flooding. It was overflowing. And here he is standing on the banks with 2 million people, and he says, we're going to cross here. Now, now, at the flood stage, this is at the place where the water is overflowing onto the banks. And, and this is where you step in and you immediately sink in and get swept away. And Joshua is saying, we're about to walk through. We're going to jump in and the water's going to split. Jump in because when you do, the water is going to divide. And that's when he looks at, at the priest and he says, you guys go and grab the Ark of the Covenant. This is the most holy and sacred thing that they had. And, and they said, he, he told them, go and grab that and start and just put your foot in the water. Now, if I'm a priest in those days... I, I, I'd be like, well, hey, Josh, I got another idea. How about you do it? And then we'll see how that works out, and then maybe I'll go too. But that's not what they do because God had blessed him, and he said everywhere you, you're, you're going to be blessed. They're, they're going to they're gonna listen to your leadership. They're going to follow you, and so the, the priests do it. They grab the Ark of the Covenant, and they start walking into the water, and they take one step, and as soon as they put their foot in that water, guess what happens? That water divides, and it separates, and the Bible says that it, it started separating in heaps on either side, but could you imagine that first step, the courage that it took, the, 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 the fact that they must have believed in that man, they, because they thought, 
if he said to do it, we're going we're gonna to be okay. And that's what God had blessed him. And, and what they did is they go across. They go across the, on dry ground through the Jordan River. As it's heaped up on either side, two million people walking across on dry ground to the other side. But Joshua doesn't stop there. He says, hold on a minute. Before we take one more step, we got to do something. And he sends some guys back. And he says, go and pick up 12 stones, one for each member, one tribe of, uh, of the uh, uh, Israelites. He said, go pick up these stones and carry them back. And what I want you to do is stack them up. And that's what they did, right? at Gilgal and he said this will be a monument that every time your kids start to wonder what is it that 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 brought us here how did we get to the promised land anytime that they start to forget you can take them right to this stacked stone and you can say see that that's how we got out because our God is a rescuer and he got us out of the middle of our water in the moment where we didn't think we could get through our God did that yeah you can give him praise in this house the truth is that's what we do as dads when God takes us to new territory, when he takes us to new places, it's at that point that we, we point back and we say, look, that was the hand of our rescuing God. But God wants you to experience it first. Before you can guide your, your kids, before you can be a, a parent that it can show your kids that our God really is the rescuer, he wants you to experience it first, and it's in his presence. That's, that's where it comes through, because the presence is always greater than the pressure. Let your pressure be the thing that drives you to your father so that you can experience this peace. The similarities between Joshua and Jesus in this story are incredible. Jesus, the name Jesus, is actually the Greek translation of the name Joshua. It's Yeshua. Why don't you say that with me? Say Yeshua. Say it again. Say Yeshua. Yeshua. Joshua. Jesus. The name all means the one who saves. Jesus is the one who saves. He leads us through the cross and the burial, through the burial and the resurrection. He parts the waters of death and allows us to walk through on dry ground. And he gives us the eternal promises of God. He's the one that we follow. He's the one that our hope is in, our faith is in. He's the one that we can put our trust in as he leads us to the promises. Not just when we die, but right now today as we can follow him and we can get to brand new territories, the territories that he wants to take you to, brand new places. I think this is what he would say to us as dads today. He would say, get ready. Put your boots on. Lace them up tight. Jump in. Cannonball. Because I'm going to do a new thing. If you'll do this, if you'll step out in faith, if you'll take that step of faith and you'll jump in, then I'll do a brand new thing. But you've got to take the step. Look at one more passage of scripture with me. Matthew 28, verse 16. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples. And it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Even in their doubt, they worshiped him. Even in their doubt, they did what he said. Even in in their doubt, they gathered together and they listened. And it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority under heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely, listen to this, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he gathered the 11 disciples and he called them into something that was greater than themselves. Listen, they had no resources. They had no headquarters. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any political power. They had no influence. They weren't able. He called them into an area that they were not able. He said, I want you to go into the world. Some of these guys had never left their hometown. They had never left Israel. And he's saying, go to the ends of the earth. And he's saying, go because I've called you to do something that's far greater than you. But I've given you a promise. And my promise is I will be with you. The promise is his presence. 
which is always greater than the presence. He invites us into something that's greater than being a dad, in something that's greater than being a, a mom or, or, or a student that's trying to, to be as an example of a believer around you. He calls us into areas that are greater than, than who we are. And he says, there's a promise that I have that's greater than the pressure, and it's my presence. I follow you guys on, on social media, and I, I saw uh, not long ago when, when you baptized all these people, Pastor Ben was baptizing all these people, and I said, that's it. That's Yeshua. The hand of the rescuing God, that is God, our deliverer. And I watched as they stack stones. That's what baptism is all about. It's saying that God has changed my life, that I used to be some kind of way, that if you knew who I was and how far away I was from God, you would never believe it. And the only way that I could be where I am today is because my God is a rescuer. He's a rescuer who saves. I told you my kids like water. Every year we try to take them to the beach um, at least once. We try to get down there if we can and slip away. And I'll never forget when, when my oldest was about six years old, which made my, my middle son about four, uh, and, and my daughter was just a little bitty baby. We went down to the beach, and uh, Deborah stayed up on the, on the shore with the little baby under an umbrella. And, but my boys had to get in that water. I got to get in that water, Dad. Let's get to the water. And so we went down to the beach, and I had to explain to him because, you know, it's different than a pool, guys. you got to be careful. There's riptides and all this stuff, and if you're not careful, you could drown and all this stuff. And, and my oldest son, Tom, was a little bit more cautious after that talk. He stayed by the bank and, and was kicking the water there. But I, I, my middle son, man, he had to get in there. He said, Dad, let's go, let's go deeper. And, and I said, all right, we'll go in. Like, hold my hand. He didn't want to hold my hand. He's like, no, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I said, just hold my hand. And so he held my hand, and we went in a little bit of the way, and, and we got out, you know, about calf deep, which was pretty high for him. And he said, deeper, Dad. I want to go deeper. I said, all right, we'll go a little bit deeper. So we got about thigh high, which was at the time like neck deep for him. And, and then he said, let go of my hand. Let go of my hand, Dad. Just let go of my hand. And so finally I did. I let go of his hand. And he stood there in the middle of the ocean up to his neck in the water. And he was big time then, man. He thought, this is it. And he was having a blast. It was a good time right there in the ocean water, up to his neck. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a rogue wave came and smacked him right in the face. And it sent him down underneath the water. Now, the truth is, he probably wasn't under that water, but for a, a second, maybe a second and a half. And I reached down, and I pulled him up. And I got him, and as soon as I got him out, the water was off of his face, and he was gasping for air, and he said, Dad, Dad, I drowned it. I drowned it. And I said, no, no, you didn't drown, and don't tell your mother that. Because what he didn't understand, and what his mother probably wouldn't understand either, was that the truth was he was never really in any danger. Not for one minute. Because his father was there. He was in the presence of his father who had two strong arms that was able to take him out at a moment's notice. Will you bow your heads with me all over the room? Close your eyes for just a moment. Maybe that's you. Maybe you found yourself in deep water wondering, how did you get here? Maybe you're the one that pulled your hand away from your father's. You need to know that your God didn't go anywhere. He's with you. He's here in this place. City Hope, he's here in this place. And if you would just reach out to him, he'd pull you up with his strong arms. There's no pressure that you're under that's greater than his presence today. If that's you, we're going to pray in just a moment. I'm not going to single you out in any way or make you stand up or come forward or anything like that, but I, I do want to pray with you. 
And just right now, between you and God, I just want you to acknowledge that. If you say, that's me, I want to receive that kind of forgiveness. I want to know what it's like to walk with him. And while no one's looking around, just lift up your hand right now. God bless you. Yeah, yes. God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. Who else? God bless you. Yeah, yeah. God bless you. Anybody else? I want to receive that forgiveness. Yes, I want to walk with him. I want to make him the Lord of my life. God bless you. Yeah, you can put your hands down. We're going to pray together, and I'm going to help you with the words. We're going to pray this all over this room out loud for those of of you making the decision for the very first time. We want to encourage you. So we're going to pray this all over. Come on, City Hope, say it this way. Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I know that I've sinned, and I desperately need a Savior. So I open up my heart to you now. And I invite you in. Be the Lord of my life. And I'll follow you forever. I'll never be the same from this moment forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Why don't you give God praise this morning? Come on, praise Him in this house.